0: have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14, verse 6. That's kind of the key verse today, the theme of what we're doing. We're in a series called Explore God, have been for the last several, will be for a few more. We're joining uh, 150 other churches in Richmond on this same theme and on this same idea, just trying to answer some spiritual questions that people are asking. The first week was, is, is there a God? And I think that was the first week. Let me just know. Does life have a purpose? Changed my life so much I forgot the order. Does life have a purpose? And, and I just tried to let you know through the Word of God that you were created for God and by God, and your life does have a purpose. You were you fearfully made in the image of God. You were knit together in your mother's womb. You have personalities. You have, you have a characteristic. You, you don't have personalities. You have a personality you have gifts and talents that bring much to, 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 to the body of Christ and much to human involvement on a whole. And we want to help you find that purpose. We, we try to accomplish that at the growth track, which starts next week. We try to help you figure out through, through some tests and through some personality profiles what, what, you're, what you were created for. And I hope you'll get on board and be a part of that. The next week, Is There a God? And that yes, there's a God, and hopefully you realize He's a good God. He's for you and not against you. He has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. He is a good God. And then last week, why does God allow pain and suffering? And, and this is how I, I just want to review that. If you're going to go through pain and suffering, make sure you leave with something. Make sure you come out on the other side better Because you went through it. Make sure your attitude is in in such a way that, Lord, I just don't want to go through this. I want to learn through this. I want to grow through this. Angie asked me to go shopping the other day. I hate shopping. I hate it. And I can endure it if there's a goal. If If we're going for a specific reason or a specific purpose. So, baby, well, why do you need to go shopping? Well, I don't need anything. I just want to go and look. That's the wrong answer. That, that is not going to motivate me to go shopping. If I go shopping, I'm coming home with something because that means I had something in mind when I was going. If I'm going shopping, I'm going for a new pair of shoes, new breeches, new shirt. I'm going to eat somewhere. I'm going for something. It's the same way with suffering. It's the same way with challenges and trials and difficulty. If you're going to go through it, make sure you leave with something. If you're going to go through the fire, make sure you come out refined. If you're going to be on the potter's wheel, make sure he molds you and shapes you into the image of Christ. Make sure that you're going in with the attitude, that Lord, when I get through this, because I am going to get through it, that I'm going to be stronger, that I'm going to be more faithful, I'm going to be more committed, I'm going to be more like Jesus. God, you who began and a good work in me, is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Therefore, I consider it all joy, because I know that the testing of my faith is developing something deep within me, and I want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God, do it in Jesus' name. This morning, the question is, is Christianity too narrow? And, and, and you can follow along with me. It's in your outline. I might have hit a wrong button. Is Christianity too narrow? And and the, the question we want to answer <laughs> is Christianity too narrow. There it is. So we're on track. And our culture has no problem talking about how many have found that that if you want to talk about spiritual things, not an issue. I mean, you you wanna books that now are on the bestseller of uh, many of them are spiritual topics. If you watch any of the talk shows, a lot of them are on spiritual topics. We we don't even have a problem talking about religion. But when it gets muddied up and where conflict and contradiction and confusion are are really not even, controversy comes when we mention the name of Jesus. Talk about spirituality, talk about religion, just don't talk about Jesus. It's not a Christmas tree, it's a holiday tree. It's not Merry Christmas, it's Happy Holidays. You know, they're trying to change B.C. right now, before Christ, which we have known for 2,000 years. It separates human history. And, and now they're trying to change it to before common era, BCE. Christ, Christians, whoa, Jesus somehow is offensive to people, and it's not that they discredit or not that they don't believe that, that Jesus lived. They don't deny his existence. It's a historical fact that Jesus lived and he died. It's not that they hate his teaching. I mean, nobody in their right mind would not appreciate his values like love your neighbor and treat others the way you want to be treated and help the poor and be generous and be grateful. The problem with Jesus and our culture is his exclusive claims, that he's the only way. That's where it gets off. If he was just many ways, no problem. But when he declared, and where does he even say that? In John chapter 13, getting ready for the cross, washed the disciples' feet, gives them a, a model to follow, And then he says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me, and I'm only telling you that because when it happens, it's just going to confirm that I am the Messiah, that I am truly God. And then in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Quit being so anxious. Quit being so fearful. Quit being so worried. I'm leaving. I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I am coming back to get you, and you will be where I am. Because you know the way, and you know how to get there. And Thomas goes, Jesus, we don't know the way, and we don't know how to get there. And so John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There might might be many paths, but only one leads to God. And it goes through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were on their way to pray. And they came across a guy that was crippled from birth, and he began to beg for alms. He just wanted something to eat, something, uh, you know, some change to, to get a meal. And they said, we don't have any silver, we don't have any money, we don't have anything tangibly to give you, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up on your feet and walk. And the man immediately, his bones were strengthened, health came back, and he went leaping and running and walking and praising God. And it created, it created a crowd. I mean, you see a miracle like that, people are going to wonder, what happened? Who did this? I want to see some more. And, and it created a huge crowd. Uh, they say even thousands of people had gathered up at this point when Peter stands up before him and says this, salvation is found in no one else. And that's where culture gets ticked off. That's where culture shuts down. For there is no other name given to men by which we can be saved. Paul was the great apostle, church planner, leader, mentor. One of his mentees was was his young uh, pastor friend, Timothy. Timothy's pastor in this growing church. And Paul wants to encourage him. Paul wants to affirm him. Paul wants to teach him some things. And so he says in 1 Timothy 2, Timothy, there's one God and there's one mediator between man and man and God. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Is, he, here, here's where culture gets boogered up. Is Christianity too narrow? And here's what I want you to do today. I just want you to consider Jesus. As we walk through this, this idea and this thought, as I, as I lay out some, some truth before you, I don't want you to consider the church. I don't want you to consider a certain denomination. I don't want you to consider even Christianity, because I'm going to try to prove to you today that Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to reveal the love of God to those who needed a Savior. I'm asking you not to even consider the lifestyle and behavior of other Christians. In fact, I'm saying don't consider that. Because you can be sitting by a person today that when you look and observe their life, they're humble, they're genuine, they're kind, they're loving. And your idea is, if that's what a Christian is, that's what I want. Next week, you can sit in the same church, maybe in a different seat, and there's somebody beside you who's arrogant and proud and boastful. And you say, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want anything to do with it. So I'm not asking you to to consider other Christians or, or people that call themselves Christians, I'm asking you to consider Jesus. And number one, consider the ministry of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? What, what was his purpose? What was he about? Here's what Mark says. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked Peter and James and John, they said, hey, hey guys, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When we consider the ministry of Jesus, we realize that Jesus came for people like me and you who couldn't seem to get it right. To to those who others rejected, Jesus accepted. To to those the religious rejected, Jesus embraced and received. It's like the lady caught. In adultery, when, when she was drug out in the very act of her sin and when the religious leaders were saying she needs to be stoned, she needs to be killed, Jesus very patiently and calmly said, okay, he who is, out, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they began to drop him and walk away. And, and then I think he took the lady's chin in his, in his hand and said, girl, where are your daughter? Where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's, that's the ministry of Jesus. When, when, when we think if, 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 if Christianity is too narrow, you got you to consider what Jesus did. He opened blinded eyes. He healed deaf ears. He allowed the mute to speak. He turned water into wine. He multiplied the five fish and fed thousands of people. He walked on water. He raised the dead. His critics never questioned the validity of his miracles. That was not a question. They saw with their own eyes, eyes being opened. They saw with their own eyes, legs being healed. They saw with their own eyes, people raising from the dead. They questioned the, the, the means and, the, and how and, and why and when he did his miracles. When, when we think about his Christianity too narrow, I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. I have a great friend. I want to introduce him to you today through video and listen to his story as I try to emphasize this point, listen to this.
1: I came to find Jesus on a river bank across from my grandmother's house with a friend of mine. We were fishing. He asked me if I knew Jesus, and I said, "Well, I know of Him." And he goes, "Well, do you want Him to accept Him as your Lord and Savior?" And I said, "Well, sure." I just got away from it. And as I grew up and I went to college, it just wasn't something that was, uh, you know, part of my life. I was essentially a selfish person. who looked out for me. It was me. I mean, what could I get for myself? And that progressed to alcohol. That progressed to pornography, uh, to going to adult clubs. And that was what I thought was the norm, you know, because that's what all my friends did. That's what I did and we dated for a long time and then we got married and then we started to have our family um, and then the world got crazier (laughs) rather than more settled and I started working more and traveling. I found myself in a a place, a hotel by myself uh, traveling. I had the means and the and the ability to do really whatever I wanted to do. I was you know looking at the internet um, and then you know going to a, uh, um, you know adult places that sort of need or that want just got so strong that i couldn't i couldn't resist the urge basically every waking moment that I had by myself, I found the urge that I had to either look at something on the internet uh, or or make a phone call or do something to get my fix. And and that snowballed over a period of about probably five or 10 years. And I always felt, well, this is the last time I'm gonna do this. When I got home from that trip, uh, the person that I had met called my wife. I'm at a crossroads where my life was unmanageable. And at that point I had to make a decision. That night I told my wife uh, what I had done. The very next day I called Pastor Stan. Pastor Stan turned me on to uh, one of the gentlemen here at the church, uh, the Overcomers Outreach. So I, I came to Overcomers Outreach. He got me in touch with somebody who was helping with these types of addictions, I just knew that there was something else that could help me to like break this once and for all, and it would stick. And I got to, to know the Lord, and he invited me to church back here again, and I started coming. And I knew that at that point that that's what I needed. Jesus Christ was the only one that could break my chain of addiction, and I finally knew that, and I finally had heard that, and I had seen people that had gone through the same thing that I was going through, and that's what I wanted. That's really what I wanted. I never had a core group of men that didn't judge me for who I was, didn't judge me for my past, um, and that would clearly pray for me when I had an issue. I don't live a lie anymore. I just come home, it's a breath of fresh air, my phone is completely open, I don't have any passwords. There's hope. There is hope for this. The the stigma associated with the, these types of addictions is is I think keeping men from coming out and, and really addressing, getting this into the light. Cause this festers in the darkness, it festers in isolation, and and that was me. I was I was isolating, I was You know, trying to do it by myself, and you just can't do it by yourself. But my biggest breakthrough was turning my life over to God, and just saying, "Here's a broken person, you know. Please help me, because I can't do it by myself." Once I was able to do that, and found that His arms were open wide, and He was standing by me the whole time, and willing to to walk along with me. That was just a weight that was lifted off my shoulders. And knowing that you know, I wasn't ever going to be a perfect person, but I could always go back to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him for support and help. I now have a collection of believers that will come alongside and will help and will support, and they'll pray for you. I've just found that to be such an uplifting and, and spiritual um awakening for me. That,
0: that's the ministry of Jesus. His, his family's been reconciled. His marriage is as strong as it's ever been. And, and what you saw just now is not a better version of the old Monty. It's a new money. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's, that's the ministry of Jesus. That That's why he came. He came for people like you and I, maybe maybe a different issue, maybe a different struggle, but issues and struggles alike in, in many ways. And, and he was gracious and kind. And if that is your particular struggle, can I encourage you to reach out for help? Imani now helps guys that battle that He's been free five years. Uh, Again, life changed, transformed. He now can help you with some tools to get free of that. If you'll let Pastor Andrew know, if you'll let myself know, we will connect you with him. And you can get on your path to freedom. That's the ministry of Jesus. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't only consider the ministry of Jesus, consider the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, we're answering this question, is Christianity too narrow? Consider his resurrection. When humankind, God created mankind, he put into place a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And and back then it was either a bull or a goat. And so when you sin, there had to be a ceremony, there had to be a, a ritual, there had to be a celebration where a priest would come and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the sacrifice would cover the sin. It wouldn't take it away. It would cover the sin. And it wasn't permanent because they had to do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and John the Baptist prophesies, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice. His his sacrifice didn't cover our sin. It took away our sin. His sacrifice wasn't temporary. It was once and for all. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, with the weight of this sin, of our sin on his shoulder with the crowd mocking him and jeering him with the pain and the suffering and all that he was up against he looked over the crowd and said father forgive them for they know not what they do and with that the bible says he said it is finished into your hands i commit my spirit and at that very moment testimony gave historical facts gave testimony That the earth shook, the earth went dark, the ground rumbled. The confession of the soldiers, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. The soldiers that were in the courtyard doing the mocking, doing the whipping, the courtyard, the the soldiers that were there in the mock trials, the the soldiers after this event looked to Jesus and said, Surely he is the Son of God. They buried and put him in a borrowed tomb, and three days later when the ladies went to check on him, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And here's how Peter, this is what Peter says about it. You killed the author of life, but God raised him to life. And we are witnesses to the fact. Peter, the other disciples witnessed it. Over 500 people saw uh, Jesus in his resurrected body. The skeptics would say... Well, the Romans took his body. And, and my response is, well, if the Romans took his body, what better way to diffuse a new, a, a new revolution that's happening about a resurrected Savior than to present his body? Or, or maybe the disciples took his body. Are you telling me 11 uneducated men devised the most elaborate scheme in the, in the history of the world? They overpowered the Roman guards. They pulled it off, and then they kept it a secret. And then they ended up dying? Martyred, killed, because they would not deny a resurrected Savior? You think about Thomas, and I, I feel bad for Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't call him Doubting Thomas. The, the the authors of the Bible called him. He did one, he doubted one time, and he's got this, he's got this, uh, I don't even know what the word is. It's stuck with him. For I mean, if you and I, if we were labeled for the one thing we did, I wouldn't even be able to talk about it in church. It's it's like it's like you get in an accident, and and for the re- one accident, and for the rest of your life, you're you're known as Reckless Willie or Accident Alex. I mean, you just never get through the stigma, and and Thomas never got through it. But the one thing, he Jesus came to him and said, Thomas, quit doubting. You said you're gonna have to see it before you believe it. Put your finger right here. Look at my side. Look look. Peter, I I mean, Thomas, I did raise just like I said I would. Thomas went on to be one of the most courageous missionaries in India. He, he He was martyred for his faith. A spear went through his side because he would not deny that Jesus came and Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus resurrected on the third day. Don't consider Christians. Don't consider me. I'll let you down. Don't consider the church. Consider Jesus, consider the ministry of Jesus, that he came as a sinner's savior. Consider the resurrection of Jesus, that eyewitnesses were willing to die because they saw Jesus raised from the dead. And then thirdly and finally, consider the message of Jesus. here's, Here's what it says in Romans 3. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is here for everyone who believes. It's not... Oh, is Christianity too narrow-minded? Is it too intolerant? It's for everyone who believes. It, it's, it's, it, it's for a- whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus didn't come a, for a select few. He came for everyone. He's just the only way. He, he, he is for no matter who you are, Jesus said. You, this, this idea of, of aren't all religions... Pretty much offering the same thing, leading to the same God. It's called the mountain analogy, and, and and they try to they want you to picture this God on top of a mountain, and there's multiple paths all around the mountain, some longer, some shorter, some steeper, some whatever to get to God. And there's one God, and all these paths, though they're different paths, they lead to the same God. And again, I mean, I would argue that if you take a close look at the different religions that are in our world today, they are vastly different, and and many of them at the very core of what we believe. Differences that contradict Christianity in so many important ways. And the world wants us to believe that that, that all of them are true, that it doesn't matter which road you pick, it doesn't matter which way you go, but, but the reality is we, they all can't be true. Someone has to be right, and someone has to be wrong. Buddhism teaches that the ultimate goal is nirvana. It's this out-of-body experience. It's this, it's, this, it's this state where you reach the place of total nothingness, and it's earned or gained by, by adhering to the eightfold path to enlightenment. The, the Hindus, their ultimate goal is also nirvana, but, but it's reached not by this path to enlightenment. It's reached by reincarnation. So you live in such a way the first time, and it, the way you live there depends on what you'll be in your second lifetime, either a king or a cow, and, and that will determine your place of nirvana. When you look at Islam, heaven is paradise to them, full of wine, women, and celebration. And and ironically, the way that you enter in paradise is to abstain the very things that you will be experiencing in paradise. And to get to paradise, a Muslim must observe or, or follow the five pillars of Islam. Judaism denies that Jesus Christ is Lord. They believe that you have to follow a strict, you have to follow the strict observance to the Old Testament law, and that equals eternal life, that Jesus was merely a human teacher or a are a great prophet at best, but he's not the Messiah. Every religion that this world has created is based on people doing something, people struggling and striving to somehow win favor with God. They have to to pray the right way or go on a journey or give alms to the poor or avoid eating certain food or or go through a series of recarnations or, or be a martyr. They are attempts for people to reach God. I'd like to illustrate it this way. When, when Emily and my kids were little and, and they were laying in the crib and I'd come to them, they were hurting, crying, in need. Other religions would, would portray it as this way with a God looking over the balcony of that crib with a, with a kid crying out, needing help, needing a savior. Well, you've got to make your, you've got to reach me. I'm unable or unwilling to make a way. You've got to reach me. Christianity is so different. It's the picture of the father looking over that crib and in the strong arms reaching down and embracing him, knowing that fa- knowing that baby can't reach the father, knowing that that baby is in need of help. And so instead of the baby reaching and making a way to God, God makes a way to the baby through his son, Jesus Christ. See, in religion, it's all about what you do and what you abstain from and what you withhold. In Christianity, it's all about what he's done. It's about what he's done. For by grace are you saved through faith and that, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus is the only way to God. He came to us in the form of his son so that we could be reconciled and made right with God. The, the, the Buddhists have a story of the prodigal son just like the Christian Bible does. In their story, it's, it's similar in the fact that the boy goes prodigal, that he comes to his senses, and he returns to his father. The only difference in the Buddhist story and the Christian story is when the son returns, he is, he is commanded to go into a, to years of servanthood to pay off his debt for his rebellion and hard-headedness. In the story of Christianity, the son is not only embraced, but he is welcomed not as a servant, but as a son. He's celebrated as though my son once was lost. He's now come home. In Islam, Allah demands your son. In Christianity, God gave his son. There is a world of difference and both of them cannot be right. Jesus is the only way to God. And the Bible requires us to view other religions as flawed attempts of man to reach God through human effort and insight. Although they might teach some good morals and have good, maybe some good principles, it's not necessary for a religion to be totally false in order to be disastrously wrong. Jesus is the only way to God. Well, well Pastor, what about isn't saying Jesus is the only way? Intolerant and narrow-minded. It would be intolerant and narrow-minded if I said Jesus is the best way. I'm not saying Jesus is the best way. I'm saying Jesus is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. See, someone had to pay for the penalty of my sin. Someone had to bridge the gap between me and God. And Jesus, by the virtue of his sinlessness and by the virtue of his divinity, was the only one qualified to be my sin substitute and i have acted not by some careless whim but by the truth found in god's word and by the evidence laid out in history that jesus is the only way it's it's again let me explain it this way stay with me just a few more minutes Uh, several when austin was first born austin is jenny and trevor's baby boy Uh, now he's not a baby he's 13 now he's bigger than me but he was a baby Obviously, we were all babies. I'm going to get to the point right now. When he was a baby, he had jaundice, and his skin was yellow, and the whites of his eyes were yellow. And so they took him to the doctor, and the doctor gave him this little glow light and a little backpack-like thing that they had to strap it to him, and the light would, would do something to its liver, stimulate Austin's liver, and it would take care of the jaundice. And jaundice is very treatable and very uh, able to take care of, but if you don't deal with it, it can become disastrous. And so, and so here's what they could have done. Jenny and Trevor could have said, well, we, we, we're not going to pay the copay and we, we don't believe you. We, we think we can just take care of this. And so we're going to scrub the yellow off of this boy. We're going to dip him in bleach. We believe that if we work hard enough, we can take care of this jaundice. And the doctor would have said, no, there's only one way. I mean, it's scientifically proven. It's medically, the medical Remedy, you've got to attach this glow light to him. This glow light is what's going to. Well, well, we don't believe that. We have our own conviction. We're going to do. We're going to do what we think is best. We think there are many ways for this jaundice to be healed, and we don't want the glow light. The there's only one way. This is the way. It's the most effective way. It's the only way for this jaundice to be healed. And 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 now I'm thinking: Are Trevor and Jenny are they intolerant? Are they narrow-minded? Because they trusted the doctor when he, when, when he pursued the only course of treatment that was going to cure their baby boy? Or did they act rationally according with the evidence? I would declare they acted rationally according with the evidence. Is Christianity too narrow? We all have a terminal, sin, a terminal disease, and it's called sin. And the reason we need Christ is because he's the great physician, and he's the only one that has the cure we can try to scrub away our sins with our good deeds. We can ignore them and hope they won't matter. We can sincerely seek another way and be sincerely wrong. The truth is, Jesus is the only one that offers a treatment for our sin. He's the only one that will erase the stain of our transgression. And when we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's not narrow-minded. That's not tolerant. That's the truth. For salvation is found in no one else but at the name of Jesus. Not Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or Krishna or Ron Hubbard or Gandhi or Abraham, not the Pope or Mother Mary, not the Dalai Rama. Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, and that's what I want. I want to help you enter through the narrow gate today, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few people who find it. You remember in the garden of gethsemane i'll end with this garden of gethsemane jesus is under such anguish such such turmoil in his soul that he sweats great drops of blood very very not normal but medically possible he is in such anguish and such turmoil and he's wrestling with god he knows that the the he knows he came from heaven became as a man, he knows the, the struggle that's before him, he knows he's about to take on the sins of the world, and he cries out to God, God, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. God, if there's a plan B, please put it into action now. I mean, that's not a that's not a lack of courage, that, that's reality in the fact that it's about to be painful. I think the most, the most agonizing thing was Jesus knew that his father was going to turn his back on him because of the world's sin. God, if there's any way, please take this cup from me. you know what God said? Jesus, there's no other way. You're the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through you. And so Jesus responded, nevertheless, God, not my will, but thy will be done. See, here's here's the big idea. Jesus is the only way. Amen, everybody. Amen. Stand to your feet with me, will you, all across this auditorium?